Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Beloved, whenever Jesus is in the house, men are going to be challenged to look at their own lives. And then they need to make that determination whether to repent or rebel. And we really only have one of two choices. You see, when Jesus is truly in the house, you cannot be non-committal. Jesus demands an answer, and he wasn't going to leave without causing the people of Nazareth to weigh their hearts and to take an account of their faith. Lots of people love eating junk food. Some even look forward to eating it, especially when they have something to celebrate. It might be a birthday or a holiday, maybe a big accomplishment. Whatever the case, at first it's really good, but then you feel really sick and yucky inside. Today, Pastor David will teach that Jesus did not come for an emotional high. He didn't want to only give us dessert to leave us feeling yucky and unfulfilled. Jesus came to fill us with rich, satisfying food, full of everything that we need. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Jesus is in the house. Isaiah tells us also that Christ comes to recover the sight to the blind. Another aspect of sin is the blindness that it brings, spiritual blindness. Man in his sin, he can't even see the truth. He can't even see the glory of God because sin has brought in such deep blindness. And it's only as the Lord comes and opens the eyes of the spiritually blind that they can even begin to comprehend the truth and the glory and the grace and the mercy and the majesty and the splendor and the sacrifice and the forgiveness of Almighty God only through the work of God in our lives. Messiah also comes as the one who brings liberty, oppression of any kind, just absolutely robs our soul of the fullness of freedom, that, that completeness of joy that should be ours. The oppression of the evil one weighs down the sinner's heart and burdens the very being. When Christ obtained the victory over sin and death, he was the one who loosed the chains of the oppressor. And when he declared it's finished as he hung on the cross that day, he made the way available to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And now here in this little synagogue in Nazareth, the hometown boy comes in declaring the acceptable year of the Lord. And it says, and he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all of the eyes were fixed right on him. I think it was a major silence at that point. Wow, here's the hometown kid. He's gonna share the word with us. 
He's going to speak about Messiah coming. Oh, how exciting that is. We all long for Messiah to come back again. And they're sitting there and they're ready to hear what he has to give them. No doubt they were expecting Jesus to give this great, this powerful teaching of the promised one of God and the hope that was going to come with his soon coming. Thing is, is his exposition of the scripture ended up being very short, but very much to the point. Verse 21 says that he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I, I think it's interesting that Luke says he began to say to him. Makes me think that he wanted to say more, but just by those words that he said, it caused such a reaction, he didn't get to finish his whole sermon. He began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness of him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And then they said, wait a minute, this is Joseph's kid. Don't, don't be confused. They understood what Jesus said. He was reading a messianic passage. And he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wait a minute. We've seen you grow up here in this community. We've seen you play. As a child, we've seen you play with our children. We've seen you grow up. We've seen you working uh, there as, as your father, quote unquote, Joseph, was teaching you the carpentry trade. And you're saying you're the Messiah? How can this be? Aren't you Joseph's son? The problem is they fully understood what Jesus read and what his follow-up comment was declaring. And here in his hometown synagogue, Jesus was declaring himself to be Messiah. Now Jesus understood that that didn't sit real well with everybody. As a matter of fact, verse 23 says that he, Jesus, said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard you do in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. I'm just wondering, as Jesus said, this day, this word is fulfilled in your hearing. Suddenly the silence was broken and suddenly mumbling was all across the congregation. Men speaking to each other, women who weren't supposed to speak in the synagogue at all, whispering to each other, wondering. Or maybe it was simply because we know that Jesus knew the hearts of all mankind. So he says, you know what? You're going to come up to me and you're going to say, physician, heal yourself. You're probably going to be asking me, well, why aren't you doing the same works here that you did up in Capernaum? You see, Luke doesn't give us the whole layout. There's some events that had already taken place in Jesus' life before he got to that synagogue in Nazareth. Consider the wedding of Cana of Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. Consider some of the other things that happened during that time. Jesus had already been ministering to the people. And he says, you're going to be wondering why I'm not doing the same work here among you that I did up at Capernaum. Beloved, whenever Jesus is in the house, men are going to be challenged to look at their own lives. And then they need to make that determination whether to repent or rebel. And we really only have one of two choices. You see, when Jesus is truly in the house, you cannot be non-committal. Jesus demands an answer, and he wasn't going to leave without causing the people of Nazareth to weigh their hearts and to take an account of their faith. Beloved, suddenly and without warning, church that day became much more than just a social gathering. Jesus continued to press the point. Listen to what he says in verse 25. 
He continues on. He says, I tell you truly, there were many widows who were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in the land of Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleaned or cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When Jesus is in the house, faith, or the lack of it, is clearly revealed. Jesus brings these two events from the Old Testament testimony of the people of Israel. Again, Elijah coming to the woman there during the famine, the woman of Zarephath. You know what? She was a Gentile woman. She wasn't a Jew. Weren't there anyone in Israel that was starving? Wasn't there anyone in Israel that was being affected by the famine? Absolutely. But God moved from Israel and ministered to this Gentile woman, I believe, in a response of, of, of bringing out jealousy to Israel because of their lack of faith, because of their lack of dependence upon God. And he brings out the story of Elisha that, again, Naaman coming to him filled with leprosy. And Naaman got healed of his leprosy. Well, weren't there lepers in Israel at that point in time, Jesus is saying? Yes, there definitely was. But again, it was a matter of faith that the people of Israel were not depending upon God in every aspect of their lives. And so again, the, the work done on Naaman was hopefully to spur them on to jealousy, to respond back in faith. But the problem is, is the jealousy didn't lead to any kind of repentance. And just as right here in the synagogue in Nazareth happened, so it happened in Israel. Here in this synagogue, their jealousy of what Jesus is reminding them of, of the events of the Old Testament where God was blessing Gentiles instead of the Israelites, their jealousy led to wrath. And that was because of the coldness of their hearts, because of the blindness of their souls. And we know that because we see beginning in verse 28. And so a couple of those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Is that what it says? Yeah, all of them. All of them. Not one or two got ticked off. The entire meeting got ticked off. All of the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built and that they might throw him down over the cliff. When you look at this passage, I kind of wonder how many preachers preach messages that get their congregation so mad they want to kill them. Well, fortunately, this hasn't happened to me yet. The message isn't over yet today. But right now, if you can even begin to grasp the, the, the anger and the rage of these men, I don't think an anger management class was going to do them any good at this point in time. It was absolute chaos. It was, it was mob rule. And no doubt the men were screaming and the women were probably wailing and crying as again they kept pushing Jesus toward the edge of that cliff. And again, all of them coming against him. You need to understand though that it wasn't his claim of messiahship that brought about such rage. What brought about such rage was that he challenged their faith. He brought a challenge to their faith, and in essence, he was saying, you know, the Gentiles have more faith than you do. And as I've said before, when Jesus is in the house, you cannot be on the sidelines. 
he won't allow it. You're either going to be for him or against him. And here it would seem that the house was against him, even to the point of pushing him out of the synagogue, out of the church. How many churches today have pushed Christ out of the church because it's too convicting to preach the cross? It's too convicting to preach Christ. Oh, but I can preach on how to have a full and meaningful life. I can give you 12 points of how to deal with your children or your spouse. We can do a multitude of things, but don't preach the cross to me. Don't preach Christ crucified for my sin. That becomes offensive. Too many churches have pushed Christ out of the meeting here in this synagogue. They pushed him out even to the point of trying to bring him to death, to silence his message to remove the challenge to their faith and, and to, to, to quiet that conviction of their souls. But you know what? It wasn't the Father's time for Jesus' silence. And so it says there in verse 30, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. We don't know how that happened. We don't know if it's a miracle or what, but let's just say he went through them. He didn't, it was not time for him to be cast off the cliff. From Nazareth, Jesus now, he takes his short journey eastward to those northern shores of the Sea of Galilee, to the city of Capernaum. Look at verse 31. In verse 31, we read, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. There's a lot we could say about Capernaum. Uh, it becomes the, the ministry center for Jesus during most of his ministry time. We're not going to look at that today. We'll deal with it as we go on through Luke. But just like it was in Nazareth, I believe as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. But you know what? Just because he was in a different city, his mannerisms didn't change. His commitment wasn't any less simply because he wasn't home. Now that's a lesson right there for all of us as we travel, whether it be for business or for pleasure. As Jesus' custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. What's your custom when you're out of town, when you're away from here? And again, as he comes to this audience, his audience is amazed at his teaching. Once again, they, they saw that he taught with authority. And once again, when Jesus was in the house, things just didn't run as usual. Look at verse 33. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I found it also interesting that in Nazareth, Jesus declared that he was the Messiah. Here, a demon declares that he's the Messiah. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. That's a messianic title. I read events like this in the life of Jesus as well as in the life of the apostles, and I personally have to ask this question. How long was this demon-possessed guy an active part of that synagogue. And it didn't bother him being there, and it didn't bother anybody else. Didn't anybody notice the guy that was demon-possessed? Well, that's just old Weird Simon. We, we don't deal with him. He comes and goes. Maybe it was Weird Simon, but maybe he was an active part, even in leadership. Because, beloved, when Jesus isn't in the house, the spirits can do anything they want. How empty of the Spirit of God does a place have to be for a demon-possessed man to feel comfortable in their midst. But when Jesus came into that house, everything changed, and the demonic spirits were no longer comfortable. 
As we see through the scriptures, as soon as Jesus arrived on the scene, the demonic spirits got very uncomfortable and they got fearful that their time was over. Let us alone, they said. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? We know, or I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus didn't let him speak anymore. In verse 35, it says that Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and didn't hurt him. It's interesting. There was no battle. There was no long drawn out process because Jesus had full power over the forces of evil. They have to obey him. Thus far, we've seen, we've heard how the people marveled at the teaching authority of Jesus. But now the fullness of his spiritual authority is completely revealed. Jesus commanded and the demons departed. It's the power and it's the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very son of the living God who commands all of his creation, beloved. And that synagogue in Capernaum is receiving just a little taste of what they are going to be witnessing over the next couple of years as Jesus brings his ministry center there and ministers in that area. Because Jesus was in the house that day in that synagogue, a man who had been apparently a part of that synagogue for a while was delivered from demonic possession. And Luke tells us in verse 36, then they were all amazed. They spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report of him went out into every place in the surrounding regions. Amazing. Since Jesus revealed his wisdom and his authority through his teaching, and people were amazed. Since he revealed his power and spiritual authority in over all of the spiritual realm through the, again, disposing of that demon in that man. Wouldn't you think that people's lives would be totally changed? I've heard Jesus preach. I've seen him act in a supernatural way. Wouldn't you think normally that that from that, people's lives would change? But you know what the problem is? Is not everyone who hears actually receives. And not everyone who is drawn to him accepts him. We know that because here in Capernaum, there's, there's no lasting There's no continual repentance in Capernaum. There's no wholesale revival that takes place in that city. There's no overall repentance in that city. There was greater revival and repentance in Nineveh, that Gentile land, when Jonah just spoke, hey, 40 days and you guys are toast, than when the very presence of Jesus was there. A little later in Jesus' ministry, he had this to say about the faithlessness of Capernaum. You don't need to turn there, but Matthew chapter 11, you can look at it later. Chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. Jesus speaks and he says, and you Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven. Why are they exalted? Man, because that's that's where Jesus ministered. That's where the ministry center was for most of his earthly ministry was there in Capernaum. Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, you're gonna be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Jesus was in the house. One group 
totally rejected him. They tried to silence his message, tried to end his ministry completely. They wanted to be done with the conviction of the message that, that he brought into their hearts. And this other group, once again, as Jesus is in the house, he spoke with authority. He acted with authority. Someone that they had known for apparently a while was delivered from demonic possession. And yet, apparently, for all that we heard and saw in Capernaum, it was simply emotional response. Wow, what a teacher he is. Wow, what an amazing word that was. Did you see him heal and deliver, weird Simon? Did you see that take place? They were emotionally astonished at his teaching for his word had authority. They were emotionally all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. They had seen with their own eyes how with that authority, how with that power, he commanded the unclean spirits and they came out. And yet there was no real change, only emotional hype. Beloved, Jesus did not come into this world to give you and I an emotional high. He came into this world to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. But today our culture, the people of our culture, we keep looking for hype. And so many churches today, they'll offer hype and emotion, but very little else. I don't mind hype. I don't mind emotion. But love it, if it, but if it doesn't change your heart, then it's empty. It's of absolutely no value. And actually, it's probably worse for you because you become addicted to the hype. You become addicted to the emotion. And there's never a change in your life. My prayer is that above all things, Jesus would be in this house. And because he is, that we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. My prayer for this fellowship, for you and I here in this place, that as Jesus comes into this house, that this house would be a place where we would allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That when we come together, in this house, that we'd be continually challenged to put on that new man, that new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. My hope and my prayer for all of us is that when we come together, the social time is great. I love it. I love interacting with the people. The worship time is beautiful to lift up our, our voices and our hands and our hearts to the Lord. Great time. To hear the teaching of the word in an understandable, grasping way. Well, beloved, none of that is of any value if hearts aren't changed. If we come in and we go out with the same thing week after week after week. If Jesus is truly in this house, our lives need to be changing and growing and being conformed to the image of Christ. i
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.